When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast. I got Sean back on here to talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean is out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he comes on quite frankly to talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how you doing, bud? Pretty good, Casey. Pretty good. We have got a couple of things I think that are noteworthy to speak a little bit about. Obviously, the Fed came in, talked about raising up another quarter of a percent when you look at that, but they also, you know, Chairman Powell did make some uh, statements, kind of surrounding like, you know, maybe we're maybe we're overacting here a little bit, and we're starting to see some pretty good resiliency in the marketplace, and things are turning around faster than we thought. So we'll just see how things go from here. Is kind of what I I took from his statements. So Sean, I'd love your opinion on what you thought about that. Well, the opinion of the market seems that they're going to do another rate increase at the next meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's not what I think. It's what the, how the market interprets it, and then they trade that. But it, it, from what everyone gathered, that you know, he, he wants to do another one and get, I guess, get to that five and a half percent, which is what he's been talking about really since he began raising rates. That that's ultimately where he wanted to go. It just, I just feel he's going to go there. 
So no. whether he should or shouldn't, you know, that's where he's going. And, you know, that can anytime you continue to raise rates in a highly levered economy, you know, that is a pushback on the future potential for demand. I mean, so so on the margin, you know, that that continues to be a pushback um, to the markets. And, you know, it obviously we're near the end of the process, not the beginning, but it but we're not certainly going to get anything like lowering of rates or, right. you know, a yeah. change of monetary policy. It doesn't look to me like through the end of the year, unless there's some kind of a surprise schism financially in the markets that makes them do it sooner than they would like. So to me, I think, you know, the Federal Reserve is not going to be the friend of the markets. And so we're going to have to essentially, the markets are going to trade what they always trade typically, which is future production potential. And obviously the geopolitical monster that has awoken and what day-to-day, week-to-week uh, sound bites are saying about what one of the breadbaskets of the world, what the outlook for that region is for the foreseeable future. So right now, it doesn't look like to me that the Fed is uh, going to be um, a bullish factor here until we get into you know, sometime in the first half of 24. The elections will be coming up, and uh, you know they like to keep uh, their job. I mean, the chairman likes to keep his job, and so they tend to make sure they um, are friendly to the people in there in case they get back in there, that they see the wisdom in keeping them in the fair chairman position for longer, if you know what I'm trying to say. Oh, uh, Sean, you're you're being most cynical there, sir. <laughs> but accurate. The bottom line is the Fed is more of the same, really, more of the same. Yeah, you know, just yeah. more of the same. And I don't, you know, the markets are just – I think everyone's just tired of it all. Like yeah. markets have traded it. We're just, we're just, yeah, they could trade it for a day. You know, the dollar's rallying today a little bit, but I think we're just done with all that. I think we've moved on to just looking at other things. I, the market, I just, you find in markets, especially nowadays when information is instantaneous, that um, the market gets tired of trading a story much faster nowadays than it used to. You know, yeah. it'll, I remember when the you know the the regional banks the crisis and we traded that hard and fast for like a month or a month and a half and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, I'm not sure anything really changed, but we just don't focus on something else. So the attention span of the market it, it's kind of like a child who suffers from attention deficit disorder. You know, they they can they can focus on something for a little bit and they move on to something else. I move on. To, yeah. I feel that markets have moved into an attention deficit disorder where they just can't focus on something for very long and they they get tired of it. and They move on to something else. So that means a lot of volatility because what they've been trading this week, they decide next week they don't not interested anymore and they move on to something else. So that's the challenge. That's also the opportunity. Yep. Okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about cotton. Cotton has kind of broken out of this stagnant trade that it's been in uh, for a while, and it's broken out to the upside. We've seen some some cotton right now that's trading in that uh, high 80s range, about $87, $88. Sean, looking at cotton right now, uh, are we seeing some of the, the – because I, mean, I know China has done a lot with um, their stocks, and their stocks obviously aren't as good as what we have, but they're doing a lot of – of uh, state auctions of, of their cotton supply. Is this another one of those uh, China-based moves, or is this just time for it to break to the upside? 
Well, China, cotton prices, they actually have futures markets that are real. Um, and they've been surging all year long because of the big, big, big crop problem that they have. And they grow – most of the cotton is grown in the northwest quadrant of the country. It's the only – everything else they grow on the other side, but cotton, they grow most of it on the northwest quadrant. Burning up, hot, dry, crop's going to be terrible. The futures prices have been moving up. As you said, they've been auctioning cotton out of uh, government stocks to try to keep the prices down. So they have a big problem. And that means that it, regardless of whatever demand is or it isn't, if you take supply down enough, it doesn't matter what demand is because they're going to need they, – their demand is not zero. So that's what's really started to move the market up. On top of it, Texas has been hot, dry, you know – Obviously, they do grow some cotton in the deep south and the southeast. It's not trivial, but at the same time, Texas is the big dog. And if the big dog um, catches fleas, you have a problem. And so those two big key regions are looking at major crop problems simultaneously. Um, so despite the fact that the Fed's continuing to keep demand constrained, that's enough to move this market up to that 90 cents, maybe even could make it up to, you know, a dollar a pound potentially depending on how the, the the season finishes here Casey but if we're looking at you know a, a, a particular ag market that has um, a clear major crop problem it is the cotton market in Texas it is the cotton market in Northwest China and the market is starting to react and we've been talking about it in, in our reports to subscribers and on your show that we had this very tight coiling triangular pattern that looked Typically, those tend to break to the upside. We have now broken to the upside, and that means we, it looks to me like we've, we've, we've begun some kind of an uptrending market here, at least into the latter part of the summer, early fall, before we price in how bad is bad. Yep. Okay. Um, your weather models, are you seeing – we've talked about this, but it escapes me. Uh, your weather models, are you seeing more of an active hurricane season this year than we've seen in the past? I don't well, – the wind shear is very, very, very strong in the Gulf of Mexico, which is really what we care about, right? Because the Gulf of Mexico is what messes around with all sure. the ag ground and, and potentially you know, can create drought-busting rains in the, in the mid, mid, Midwest and that sort of thing. Um, because El Nino is there, and I do believe it's going to start strengthening here in August, the Southern Oscillation Index has fallen – into strong and negative territory, which is a which is an indication that we're going to start getting another pulse to the upside in El Nino developing and really coming into its own in the fall in September. Remember, the hurricane season is really August fifteenth um, through October fifteenth, with a peak around September twelfth. I think the wind shear is going to be really, really. Right now, we have tremendous wind shear. What that means is storms just stay out to the ocean. They stay out to the ocean. Stay out to the ocean. If they try to come in, they go. They go. They, they stay south in into Mexico. They just have a hard time developing and finding their way into the Gulf. And and even though we have some warm sea surface temperatures that you know uh, that can you know at least get storms going initially. It's been very, very hard to get anything going in the Gulf of Mexico this year, Casey. I think we could have a lot of fish storms, what they call them, where they just kind of, like we have one that's coming off that's going to go right in the middle. I don't think we're going to have an active season in the Gulf of Mexico. Of course, it only takes one, but my anticipation is it's going to be a very, for the Gulf of Mexico, the activity is going to be extremely low this year. So, okay. All right. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about market volatility. So um, the market has, the, you know, the report came out on um, you know, last week and everything just got hammered the very next day or it all came back plus some. And then ever since then, every other day, has been, it seems like here's a quarter, take a quarter, here's a quarter, take a quarter. And it's, it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So we're seeing some very massive volatility back in the marketplace, Sean. Uh, as you look at this, is this volatility here to stay, and is it going to be that way through through harvest? And and as we kind of get an idea of what things look like moving into into mid August, early September, um, is that is that what this volatility is going to stick around for? Prefacing by saying no one can predict the future of geopolitics, but if I'm correct in assuming that this change in posture from Russia is to push global leaders to come to the table and negotiate a settlement, then they need to continue putting pressure on food prices higher. The only they tried to be nice on food, it didn't work. Now they're gonna they want you know, we need, I believe the way you put pressure on global governments is you need to get the wheat price ten dollars plus. Mm -hmm. And we already know the rice price is going parabolic right now. We've talked about this how we're not going to see the rice market save from a, a wheat crisis for the, you know, like they did last time. So if you have wheat and rice both going up parabolically where half the world's population says we are going to starve to death, you have to do something or else we're going to go at, come after you, that's how you bring the world leaders to the table to make a settlement. Um, so I, it just doesn't, I don't see anything that says yet that you know wheat at where it is right now is putting that kind of pressure on it yet. So if I'm correct about that overall assessment, forgetting day-to-day -day ups and downs and all arounds, I feel that when it's all said and done, Russia is going gonna, is gonna to do what it has to do to get – essentially, they have to shut the Danube down enough to get the wheat price really going high where everyone is panicking on the global scene. And they all see the wisdom in coming to the table and saying, what do we have to do to give Russia some territory so we can settle this thing, get the food prices back down? And make sure that we keep our political jobs and our people don't go starving. I, I believe to the best that anyone can predict anything about geopolitics, that's probably the track that we're on. Having said that, you know, day to day, you know, look, we were up strong overnight, then we came back down, you know. But overall, I think we are heading higher in the wheat market, you know, heading into, you know, let's say uh, the fall, maybe even into the fourth quarter. My feeling would be going into the winter where people freeze to death and starve to death if the food's not available, that's the point of maximum pressure. I would think something would get settled sometime in the fourth quarter to make sure that does not happen. Uh, as sad as all that is to say, and, and as, as um, unsavory it is for those that are on the edge, that's the way it looks to me like the leaders are playing this right now. And and if Russia's made that decision, then why would they stop now? They're going to keep going. So, so, so to me, you know, that's, if wheat takes off, it's going to drag corn up. It's going to drag soybeans up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. I think really wheat and to the extent rice, you know, th those are really going to be the drivers here, even spring wheat, you know, the, cause we have a lot of weather problems with spring wheat. It's really going to be the driver here. I think, Normally, you know, U.S. weather would be fairly important right now, and it doesn't mean it's not. It just doesn't seem like it's the most important thing right now. 
I mean, the markets are not moving based upon weather forecasts, right? They're moving on what they think is going to happen with Russia, whether, you know, and, and, I, and until, you know, that gets resolved, you know, Mother Nature is really not the driving force like it normally is or like it has been through the entire growing season up to this point. So you have to kind of shift your gears to watching weather maps, to watching Russian, Ukraine sound bites on Twitter, sadly enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a lot of those out there, and then you, depending on what what you want to look at and how you want to see it, it's the information. Well, you got Reuters, you know Bloomberg, right. and they all they all come up with these headlines out of nowhere, sure. and you know they heard this, and uh, you know an undisclosed anonymous source said that. You know how this works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, one other thing that popped I saw here. Let's talk a little bit about the protein side, and you're looking at the hog index. It's had a pretty good week. You know we've seen some. Seen some runs up here this week, so we're starting to see a turn in hog prices just a little bit. But about the time you say that, it gets smacked in the face and goes back down the other way. So I, I hate to, to jump on the pork bandwagon, but I guess as you're looking at what's going on uh, with uh, the hog price, what's your thoughts there, Sean? Well, remember we talked about that we had this whole yeah. big spike trade because of this uh, pushing out of this humanitarian stuff for California, not letting it in until the end of the year. Yep. That's a false rally. I mean, it's not a false rally. It's a real rally because real people are trying to panic buy physical supplies, but it's not a sustainable rally. A sustainable rally comes from China buying pork from anybody they can get their hands on because African swine fever meat protein shortage is kicking in the high gear. The initial indicator for that is the hog price futures market in China. It has finally bottomed and made a V bottom and has been surging parabolically higher here the last two weeks. It's been something we've been looking out for. We're warning on your show that we thought yep. we'd see something like this happen probably you know, in the back half of the summer. It has started. That doesn't mean you go right out and, and here, comes the, here comes the tsunami of Chinese demand. But remember, they can't wait for the protein shortage to actually show up and then, and then go, go ahead and buy pork because it takes a while. By the time they, they purchase pork, by the time they get delivery – what are you talking about? I don't know, a couple of months, two, three months. So, so yeah. if you think this through, if that means the herd liquidation is over and that means that the protein surplus is now ending and that means that the meat protein shortage is going to really start to show up in December, by the way, right before their holidays when they consume the most pork in the country at any other time of the year, when would they have to purchase Brazilian pork, U.S. pork? Well, you know, if you're looking at the calendar – September, October, they would have to start purchasing so they could get delivery by December and start getting some supplies coming in just as the, the meat protein shortage is kicking in. So I kind of feel that, you know, I would be looking for, you know, if you're looking at a chart of, uh, let's say, uh, December hogs, you know, I'd be kind of looking at a chart pattern you know, to, to see when that market is kind of going to ready to break out of this um, bottoming pattern that it's been in, and um, and I, I and I just I feel September just looks, seems like the right month for that to happen. But I'm very optimistic about the long term price. But we might have more backing and filling, sideways trades, some correction now. Now that we take this panic buying off the market, that as everybody got themselves met, you're going to have a little bit of a void of demand for a little while. But but I do believe. We're entering a pretty important, more sustainable inflection point to the upside from September onward. Yep. Okay. All right. So looking over at the uh, cattle market, um, 
and it just seems like the Packers are not much of a hurry to move stuff anywhere. And it seems like there's not a lot of movement um, out of the feedlots processing plants. And it seems like they've built up somewhat of a supply that they're trying to work their way through. So I guess looking at the cattle market, Sean, what are your thoughts there? Well, and if you look at cold storage in Korea, in Japan, in China for beef, they're off the charts. Everybody's got a ton of beef in storage because demand has been weak, because the price has been high, and because the economies in Asia haven't been good. So it says that we might be dealing with a little bit of indigestion here. Um, it, you know, in, in terms of things just slowing down a little bit. In it, you know, look, we we know that there's just that supplies are going to remain tight for the foreseeable future. But there is going to be an ebb and flow at these prices in terms of supply and demand, especially demand. And it just looks to me that when you have storage you know, at, at just bubbling over of, of excess supply, every country wants to keep prices down right now. And so I would think that they're going to start selling some of that cold storage to keep the prices down and, um, and maybe hold off on aggressively purchasing things for a while. Um, and then maybe they come back to the market when that when they've normalized those cold cold storage numbers back to a more normal level. That would seem to me to be a realistic outlook right now for the cattle market to maybe just kind of hit the pause button and just spend some time letting the market kind of adjust and react for the next wave higher in twenty four. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page at Faradix11. We have a LinkedIn page. We're not habitual posters, but we do from time to time put stuff on there about what we do to see that the way we look at the world through weather and statistics and correlations and cycles um, would be of value to your listeners. Right on. Okay. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast and bringing all this information out to folks. It's a uh, I look forward to these talks when we do this. So thanks for being on the podcast for all these years, man. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. Thanks. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Go over to the YouTube channel. Check out the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel for the video version of this and go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. Go to the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through 12th. All the information is on the website. If you want some more information, send me an email. That is filling up fast. You just have a few days left to get registered for that. So if you're interested in going to that, get signed up. If not, send me an email and I'll answer whatever questions you might have. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. It's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. 
TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.